coming up on the Cubes of Saturdays podcast. In 10 years, if I, if I don't try this, in 10 years, I'm going to have the thought, what if I did? Would I have gotten in? And how would my life be different if I did? Even if I don't make it, I know that I made the effort and I won't have that regret. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode seven of the Cubes of Saturdays podcast in season two. And today joining me, I have a special guest, every, as everybody knows him on YouTube, Brody the Cuber. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Brody. No problem. Thank you for having me. Recently in the podcast, we've had other YouTubers and other people. And I just thought I'd bring you on because you add a different perspective in cubing. Like I had cubing encoded, like he has, um, he talks about like his daily uploads and stuff. And I just want to touch upon your YouTube side as well as some cubing stuff and maybe some non-cubing stuff as well so is that all right with you yeah it's all good with me i think i can offer a very different perspective from cubing encoded for sure yeah all right so first of all um i would like to just um start from the beginning from your cubing journey um i think you might have shared this on your um, channel already but how exactly did you get started cubing because some people may want to know I mean, uh, when I was seven or eight, I saw the 708 then world record on YouTube. And then one of my parents saw, was looking over my shoulder, saw me watching the video, and then took me and my sister to Target and we each got a Rubik's brand cube. So that was like my first exposure to trying it out. Of course, okay. I got, I was stumped and I played with it for a few weeks and then gave up until I was a little bit older, probably nine or 10 when I finally got the motivation to sit down, stick to Dan Brown's tutorial and figure out how to solve it. So then I was at sort of that beginner level for a long time, uh, just using that as like basically a party trick until uh, Christmas 2014, I got a Rubik's two x two and two x two is sort of the perfect size to make even a casual think how fast can I solve this? And so I started timing myself. I found like the terrible cube timer website and then started timing myself. I eventually from there got a Zanchi as my first speed cube, learned how to do CFOP and then just started practicing from there. Okay, wow, nice. So it was around, would you like 2013, 2014 when you started? Uh, I started in January, January, 2015. Oh, 2015. Okay. Yeah, nice. Um, I started maybe around the exact same time, not like a couple months after I started in August 2015. So I guess start of we sort of started in the same time period, but hardware back then has definitely changed a lot to now. I think a lot of cubers are sort of spoiled in a sense of now there's a lot of magnetic cubes and you can get like really fast, but hardware isn't always everything. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I absolutely like I tell people Felix got a 654 official average on an original Moyu Waylong back in 2013 so yeah. like abs uh but there's a tough balance like obviously a 40 second solver doesn't need a 60 dollar three by three but there's no reason if they know they're going to be serious to just have a bad cube for a while so there's got to yeah. be some sort of balance in the middle there yeah i agree with that 100 percent, definitely Mm -hmm. yeah so then after that you've been competing ever since in competitions so what was your first competition do you it, remember that? It was called Field of Cubes 2015 in Solon, Iowa, which, I mean, that, the only way I got my parents to take me was that that was miraculously only about 10 minutes from my house. Um, wow. So I went there and just from there, I mean, I had watched like all the cubing videos on YouTube by that point. I was fully immersed and Based on, I think it was mainly the old me, myself, and Pi Cubecha video, I knew what I was kind of getting myself into. And yeah. because I sort of knew that, I was more willing to sort of just jump in, go up to a table, say, hey, my name is Brody. And of course, no one knew who I was yet because I wasn't well known by that point. But right away, I just started making some friends, doing, uh, doing like tower solves and stuff like that. Yeah, I think for me, I'm sort of polar opposite to that. My first competition was Manhasset Fall 2015. And at that competition, I was pretty antisocial there. Like I met a couple people. I actually met Derpy Cuber and like the programming Cuber at that competition. Um, like those people. Um, I just talked to like some random people that I don't even know today. But I don't think I started actually making some cubing friends until like 
2017 or 2018 but i guess it's sort of um i guess i didn't really watch me myself and pie that much um but i think it, it depends on like where you are and i think you have a really good social interaction with other people i mean uh, you say that but actually in my non-cubing life i'm generally very introverted um it's just that i knew oh, that okay. being in this competition environment meant that i had this major thing in my life in common with everyone else in the room which made it a lot easier to not be afraid to go up and socialize and be myself. And as for, as for meeting people, uh, of course we don't have like Derpy and those kinds of people in the Midwest. Back then the only star in the Midwest was Chris Olson. And I, I was still afraid to approach him at that point, but he was there. Yeah. Back then he was a good influence too. And same with like for filmmaking too. Like I've gotten to like filmmaking photography too. I'm pretty sure. I think you have too. Cause I saw like a short film you've made in your channel. Oh, yeah, like, he definitely influences in both aspects. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, film is going to be my college major. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that, that film you made with your brother, I believe uh -huh. that was really good and impressive. Yeah. Thank you. Did you have, did you have another person like helping you with that? Just asking. Uh, that was to, like film. Uh, no, all of the filming was me and my brother. Actually, that's interesting. Yeah. So now onto the YouTube side, we're sort of transitioning into that. Um, for YouTube, uh, let's start with the gear first. So, do you want to just like say your gear for YouTube, like what you use, camera, microphone, stuff like that? So, um, I kind of pride myself on making the most of what I have, which may seem like a lot to people that aren't as invested, but compared to a lot of pros, isn't that much. Right now I have a Canon EOS Rebel SL2 camera, which is basically one of the least costly DSLR fancy cameras out there. And I've had that for about two years now, but up until about two years ago, and I, up until about two years ago, I used just a GoPro Hero 3 Plus, and I got to, I want to say 15,000 subscribers with that. So you absolutely don't need an awesome camera. It's more about the content. I have um, an Amazon Basics tripod, just sort of like the cheapest full-size tripod that works. Um, I'm recording this with a blue snowball mic, but that doesn't connect to my camera. So I just have one shotgun mic that goes on top of my camera. I don't know what the brand is. And then just one cheap clip-on mic that I use for uh, talking to the camera. And then just the main, the most important piece of equipment I have is the softbox lights that make my uh, footage look nice. Yeah. And then nice. uh, I edit with Final Cut Pro, and that's the other key to my videos looking the way they do. I can see you've invested a lot of time. Um, even though your gear might not be the like the best right now, it's it still puts out the content there, um, the content for the people and. Um, going back to what you were saying about like your uh, the, about the camera and all that, I definitely agree with that. The best camera, um, the best camera is the one you already have. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. And like for me, I also I recently got into um filmmaking and just mm -hmm. making videos. So I have a Canon M50. Have you heard of that? Um, I don't think I've heard of that. I know camera Canon makes some nice cameras. Yeah, it's it's on the lower end. Also, it's um five hundred dollars only. That's about. It's, it sounds really expensive. That's about yeah. where mine was, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a good camera. It has a flip-out screen, and all that. Um, I, I don't need to. I don't want to go into the specs right now, but um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with, you're, with what you're saying. And um, the the light boxes. Just want to ask about that. So, do you have like two of them? You said on either side of your room, and uh, or do you use like natural light a lot of the time? Uh, natural light, um, often. Okay, especially with the GoPro, natural light inside looks extremely yellow. So if you, okay. the, I use the softbox lights, one on each side of my filming desk, and I move those around if I'm talking to the camera or recording solves or whatever, but I have one on each side and those are the light I use for my videos. Like, um, I don't have like a ring light, even though I probably should get that for talking to the camera. Um, but just having something like that at all. It gets you ninety percent of the way there, honestly. Yeah, because if they can't see the subject, um, then it's then like, what's the point of making that video? But have you heard like audio is like a really important factor in videos? Because it's good that you have like three different microphones. You mentioned mm -hmm. the blue snowball, the um, the shotgun microphone, and then the clip-on um, microphone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you think do you believe audio is really important as well? 
that's the thing. I believe audio is really important, but at the same time, I don't put enough effort into making sure it's pristine. Um, for whatever reason, my room where I do all my recording has like very loud ventilation, which means that it's hard for me to get like a crisp uh, audio sound. And then I need to do like more audio work before I release videos, but it can be too, it, that can seem like too much of an extra step when I spend so much time on editing the visual parts. So very yeah. often it's just like a little tiny bit of touch up, making sure that it's the right volume. And then my shotgun microphone actually has a problem where it records uneven on the left and right side. So making sure I even that out. But other than that, I don't put in as much audio work as I probably should. That's all right. I mean, we can still hear you pretty clearly in your videos. It's, it's. I think it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Do you have a carpeted floor? Just asking. No, I, that, a, I know that helps with audio. I have a hardwood floor in my room, actually. Okay. Have you ever like thought about putting blankets or like sheets on the floor to dampen the audio, something like that? Um, Just asking. I've thought about that, but I feel like, I mean, it's going to be a lot of effort. The desk I record on is quite heavy. The only, the only sort of thing I've done like that is install a little bit of acoustic foam over my recording desk. The desk that I record on is very heavy and it would be very difficult to lift that up, put carpets underneath, and then move everything back to where it was. So that would be a little bit difficult. The one thing I have done is put some acoustic foam up on my wall. I use, I use acoustic foam also. I'm using it to record this podcast as well. Also, just just want to ask this and put it out there, or no, just ask you in general. Um, how do you stick your acoustic foam panels to the wall? Because mine personally, like the tape that came with it, it's like not really that sticky, I'd say, and it keeps falling off. So how do you manage that? Mine didn't come with any tape. What I did was get some uh, from Amazon. I ordered uh, square cardboard sheets. I used adhesive spray, which I got from like a hardware store or something, to attach the foam to those cardboard sheets. And then I used command strips to attach those sheets to the wall, which means that theoretically okay. I should be able to take take the panels off and move them if I want. Yeah, I, I use something similar to that. So I just used the adhesive tape that was um, ca that came with my panels. Um, I got a set of 24 and um, I just used like cardstock paper and I put it behind it and then I just duct tape it to the mm -hmm. panels. I don't know if that's the best thing, but I'll try using command strips. Mm -hmm. But thanks for the recommendation yeah. there. The thing uh, the thing about anything that directly attaches the the panel to the wall is then if you want to remove it and remove it, that's almost definitely going to damage the panel, which uh, they're not the most expensive thing, but they're expensive enough that you want to avoid that if you can. All right. And now on to um, another thing I just want to talk about is the editing side. You mentioned you use Final Cut to edit. So and I know you were previously using iMovie. And so what made you switch from iMovie to Final Cut? Honestly, what made me switch is that iMovie only lets you put one visual thing on top of your main footage. So you can only do like one picture on top or one split screen thing at a time. And I wanted to do more complicated effects. That was originally the one thing that I wanted to switch. And I, of course, do that a lot in some of my videos. A great example is like the video I made analyzing that one one-handed solver a few months ago where I did, yeah, I, I did quite a few like four-way and six-way split screens. That kind of thing is impossible to do in iMovie. So Final Cut's really useful for that. And then the other thing that uh, iMovie really sucks at is text. It will not let you move the text around on the screen to where you want it to be, which seems like such a basic thing, but it doesn't let you do that. But uh, Final Cut makes that easy to do. If you want it to be in the upper left corner, it only gives you like one option for that and doesn't let you move it around from there. So you have no precision with it. You can only like try to like use like multiple lines in certain ways to try and work around it, but it doesn't work that great. But Final Cut gives you full control. I see. Um, I kind of have a repel to that, sort of. Um, I personally use iMovie. I've been thinking about using Final Cut, but I can't download it on the computer because I personally, I use a 2013 MacBook Pro uh -huh. and um, it's not available for... The software, yeah. And so iMovie, uh, you mentioned like different split screens and all that. I know you can't really do like, you can't really customize it that well, but what you can do is um, use the two video tracks like position, 
one of them where you want on like a black screen and then export that into your files. I know it's it's really yeah, complicated, but yeah. that's just a workaround sort of. Yeah, yeah. I've done that before. Uh-huh. And that, that is the workaround, but if you're doing a big project, that can be quite annoying, especially if that happens multiple points in the video. It but yeah, that definitely does work. Yeah, it's not worth it though if you're doing it for a, like a long period of time and you're doing it in multiple videos. So I think yeah, you made a good investment there with Final Cut. Yeah, and of course yeah. it that's that's the re the reason I originally got it, but since then I've started to use it for far more things that iMovie doesn't offer. Yeah, there's a lot more advanced features there. I think the color grading is more in depth, and like you said, with like the yellow sort of filter with like the natural lighting, you can like fix that with color grading in Final Cut, um, and I you could do like keyframes with different things. Yeah, I do a lot of keyframes stuff as well, but with the color grading. And Final Cut is better, but it still doesn't fix everything. So it's still important to get it as good as you can straight out of the camera. And of course, if yeah. you if you can do that, it doesn't matter if you use Final Cut or iMovie. If you can get it good straight out of the camera, it will look nice either way. Yeah, and one tip um, also for like people who are listening to this, like if you have a DSLR, like I like to adjust the Kelvin. Um, do you know what that is, Brody? Um, I don't think so. On the actually. camera. Oh, it's like the um, the warm tones and cool tones. So um, I don't know if your camera has that setting, but like if you're going like manual mode um, at the top, there's like a setting for Canon cameras and then you can like change the Kelvin there. Um, I'm pretty sure there's like some YouTube tutorials there, but mm -hmm. in like the nighttime, I like to um, turn it down because the lights in my house personally, they get a little bit warmer. So I turn it down to like 3,500. I believe the default is like 5,000 or so, but that's just a setting that I always like to look for when I'm shooting my videos, um, like in camera to help fix that. Mm -hmm. I, but I can change it in post also. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't get that in depth with it. I am not currently not trying to make things quite as cinematic as I have in the past. Um, so very often it will just be point the camera at the right thing, make sure that it's in focus and then just make sure that the, the aperture and shutter speed are about right. And then that gets me good enough that with some color correction, I can get it to where I want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree with that. I, I learned, I recently learned all these terms, so I'm not like used mm -hmm. to it at all, but I'm sure like also just on a side note, how exactly did you like, say like, oh, I feel like I could get really good at this, like getting good at photography and videography, something like that, like into that industry. Uh, it wasn't real. Well, I mean, there's always the wish to get really good at it. It wasn't something that like I knew would happen. It started around like right around the same time that I started cubing for that same Christmas. I got a little phone tripod and then from I started using that to record me and my brother playing ping pong. And there was one specific video where I slammed the ball and it bounced and then hit the camera. And I thought, I want to see this in slow motion. And that's the first thing that got me to go into iMovie, learn how to use it, put things in slow motion, and then export it. And then from there, that sort of got the wheels turning about what else can I do with this. Huh. Wow, I see. That's an interesting story. Mm -hmm. But did you end up slowing it down, the ping pong ball? Yeah, that, that was very easy to do. That uh, iMovie does make that easy. Yeah, but I feel like if you're not shooting in like the right frame rate, um, sometimes it looks looks a little bit choppy. That's oh, what I just find. Oh, of course, of course. I was recording in, I mean, it was probably 30, I think. But with 30, you can't slow it down hardly at all. But I didn't know that and I didn't care. So it looked really choppy, but it was slow motion. It's the job done at least there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but um, that's all I want to just talk about for the YouTube side at least here. Well, actually, actually, there's one more thing. Um, for your channel itself, I just want to talk about um, what was the one video you say that like popped off and like really made your channel spike, or was there not really a video there? It was just like gradual. Uh, there have been three or four videos that have started different spikes, but the very first one was back in 2017. I uploaded a video called. 10 incredible techniques to help you get faster at three by three. And that one basically immediately just took off. I was already at about 1100 subscribers at that point. I went 
from that video alone, I went from getting 10 subscribers a month to getting five or 600 subscribers a month. And so that started an incredible spike. Then in uh, about April 2018, I uploaded what's now my most popular video about like an F2L EO trick. That started another spike. And then last year, last summer in, in particular, I had like four or five different videos that all hit 100,000 views all in the course of a few months. So last summer was like absolutely insane for my channel as a whole. Yeah. And would you say summer has allowed you for more time to produce content? Especially like, I, I, I guess this summer too, because like, um, we can't really go outside or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, so in general, yeah. Um, I still like, I make an effort during the school year still, although this past school year was very difficult to find a balance, but the summer is much more freeing for that. Um, I don't have a job right now, so I treat YouTube like it is my job. And so I've been coming out with a video either every week or every two weeks, pretty consistently all summer. Yeah, I see. Um, and also for your videos, what do you think is like the most important thing, most important factor, would you say to somebody who's just starting out YouTube to get your video out there on the search results and ranking in YouTube? So this is going to sound like surprisingly obvious. Make the videos that people want to see. So if you have an idea, ask yourself, would I be interested in this video? Ask yourself, how can I title this video to make people be interested? And keep an eye out for topics that people think are interesting. And sort of that, that's why, that's part of why I really like doing tutorials is that tutorials are always relevant. It will never be where if I do like a cube review in a year, that cube isn't going to be relevant anymore. But things like F2L efficiency and look ahead and planning your first parent inspection are always going to be relevant. Yeah, I see. Yeah, because like people are going to be constantly stumbling upon it nowadays. Like nobody is really watching like a Diane Zanchi review mm -hmm. from like 2011 or something. So mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that. And hopping on trends and also, I guess, I guess you could say like things in the cubing community that are like spiking at one certain point, because then you get a lot of views at that one point, but then it'll kind of die down. But mm -hmm. I do, I do um, agree with what you were saying about tutorials and how they're definitely helping um, mm -hmm. your channel growth because um, they're always going to be relevant. Yeah. But uh, there was something really important there that you said, which is that people will continue to stumble upon it. Whereas if you, even if your stuff, some of your stuff gets out of date, if you can consistently put up like a lot of content that is of at least a decent quality of it, then people that like your content will binge it and they will watch a ton of it. So that even, like I know when I first started, I would watch like even really old Crazy Bad Cuber unboxings and stuff, even for cubes I knew I would never try or never care about, just because I liked the content. So if you can find yeah. like a, a, a likable personality to show on camera, and then have like a big back catalog, that can help you out a lot. Yeah. I agree with that. You can you get in that loophole, I'd say. Like once you start watching somebody's content, you get in that loophole watching another one because all of their videos are linked, especially with like the end cards you can add. You can add um, also like cards in your videos. I know you use that a lot. All the time, yeah. And then also one other thing, like I know, pr yeah, producing content consistently is something that I find also like with my channel, I just want to um, talk about this also. So I started a channel, it's a non-cubing channel and I started it during in the beginning of, I started it in the beginning of quarantine and it's just about like, I do vlogs, tech and tutorials. They're just talking about stuff like that. And I find that a lot of people are getting engaged with that because I'm a lot more consistent. And I think that's what helps out. Cause I know in the beginning you were pretty consistent with your uploads. So I think that's what also helped mm -hmm. with your growth. Do you sort of agree with that? Consistency I'm is good. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Consistency is good, but uh, you never want to have frequency at the expense of quality. Because, of course, even if you have like 100 videos up, if they're all bad, then no one's going to watch them anyway. So you need to get to at least a, a certain level of ability to entertain people and of production value. And then consistency is key. But yeah, you can 
you can focus on improving your quality and your consistency at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. I've I've been trying to do that also. Um and I can definitely see it in your videos. Like now now um now that I've say now that I could say that you have good quality, you have good content, what is the big thing that you're trying to work on or maybe a small thing in your videos that maybe not a lot of people would know? Uh, let's see. Um That's a really good question actually. So things that I don't think people notice um I've always been very, very careful with like make with audio balance in terms of making sure that the music uh, transitions smoothly in and out. It's at the perfect volume where you can hear it and appreciate it, but you can still hear my voice clearly. The same thing with like how loud I make every solve I do in a video and varying that if there's commentary over it or not making sure that like the vibe and mood of a song matches the mood of the video. That's stuff that I've started to think about a lot more. And it's always nice when I get comments noticing that, but not many people notice, but that that's honestly fine. Cause a lot of, I mentioned this on Instagram a while back, good editing is supposed to be invisible. Uh, if you're doing a really good job, people won't even think about the editing They'll just watch the video and be entertained by it. Wow. Very inspirational there. Yeah, mm -hmm. I 100% agree with that. I think I, rem I think I remember seeing that before. Yeah, that's a great point you made there. Yeah, so if you, um, the way to have good editing isn't to be flashy because anything flashy most of the time just takes away from the point of your video. You want to keep it simple I, and again, th these are rule of thumbs. There are exceptions, but you want to keep it simple. Make sure that like text is readable. Make sure if you do use transitions, they're kind of simple and slick. And then you'll have a clean looking video. Yeah, you never want to overwhelm the viewer because then they'll just click off of your video. Yeah, is that something you go by also? Yeah, so like with transitions specifically, they're only like, two uh, there's like three types of transitions i use there's the sort of fade from one to the other either by like blurring in between or like fading to black there's the the wipe where basically the new um the new uh clip sort of like swipes in from the right side to the left and covers up the yeah. old one and i'll put like a little whoosh sound effect under that to yeah. sort of add to that and then the only other one i use and I've only started using this like my past two or three videos is one where I have like my logo spinning across the screen with a louder and longer whoosh sound effect. And it like blocks out part of the video and then the new clip appears. Huh, wow. So like that yeah. and that I'm careful with. If I use that in between every clip, that would obviously be too much. But if I use that maybe once going from where I going from my intro to the video to the main content that acts as like a little slick transition yeah finding that balance and knowing where to put it i think you do a really good job with that mm -hmm. and yeah um cubing encoded also mentioned like going into transitions also like you see i don't know if you watch his videos that frequently or not but he does like the same wipe sound effect yeah he does the same wipe thing in his videos but he adds like a golf sound effect like he uses iMovie so mm -hmm. yeah iMovie has a whole library of that i don't know if final cut does but sometimes like inbuilt um built in things in the editor um that you wouldn't expect could like act as a good sound effect for transitions mm -hmm. and i you can also just look up um uh, uh, you can look up whoosh sound effect free and a bunch of things will come up online with free downloadable sound effects. And then there are some uh, paid services and stuff as well that give you more options and stuff. But in general, if you look on, in like the iMovie and Final Cut libraries, and I think they share some of the same libraries for sound effects, and then you look at the free online stuff, you'll almost always be able to find something that will work. Yeah, it's easy to just you just copy the link and then put it in like an MP3 downloader and you can just put it in your editor. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty easy, easy. way to do that. Yeah. 
And yeah, that was everything I had to talk about for YouTube, at least um, on that side. But now I just want to go into like this sort of last segment um, of the, a conversation point that I want to talk with you um, about. It's like a non, non-cubing related things. Is it okay if we touch upon that a little bit? Yes, of course. Yeah. So apart from like photography and filmmaking, I know we talked about that a little bit. Are there any other non-cubing hobbies you have maybe a sport or anything else anything interesting Um, not really a sport i've gotten in the past uh six to eight months i've gotten really into weightlifting and so that's been sort of my biggest hobby for most of quarantine and so like i went from at the beginning of the year not being able to do a pull-up to now on my personal account i just posted a video of me getting 12 in a row for the first time so i've made some progress there. That's sort of the main thing I've been doing. I've been doing a little bit of like fishing and stuff as well, but outside of cubing and YouTube, the weightlifting is sort of my main passion. Yeah, I see. So um, I just want to talk about that a little bit more. So how do you exactly train to do that many pull-ups in a row? Um, so like each day, do you like wake up and say, oh, I want to do this amount of pull-ups? Do you like do it in different sets, have different reps in it? Like, I don't know how exactly to train for that. So I don't exactly know how I got my first one because it sort of felt like one day, like I couldn't do any. And then the next day, all of a sudden I could do two. So I don't know how I made that jump. But from there, basically all the progress comes from... A, actually getting stronger by doing them consistently. But what helps with like getting increasing the number, and I've done this a few times, is I set like a timer so that every hour on the hour, let's, let's, so I did this mainly when I was stuck at a maximum of seven. So every hour on the hour, I would do four and then just go about my regular business. And so that's not training me to get stronger, but it's training my my mind and muscles to be more efficient with the movement. And after I did that for a few days and then rested for a little bit, all of a sudden I could do 10. Wow. So that that's part of it. Big, big leap. Big leap. And of course, yeah. I'm not going to be able to make those big leaps as I get further and further. But uh, I've gotten a lot of help with this from friends and people online. I got like a list of different... They're called progressions where like one day for my pull-up workout, it'll say do a set of eight, rest three minutes, then a set of seven, rest another three minutes, set of seven, rest, one more set of seven. And if I can pull that off, then the next workout, I have to do eight, eight, seven, seven, and the next one, eight, 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 seven, and work my way up gradually being able to do more so that's like basically the most gradual level of improvement and if you can make those tiny jumps and then take a step back your maximum should go up a lot in that process huh i might have to try that yeah yeah i have a pull-up bar also like by my door i think um for you do you have i saw like in some of your videos like you have that machine or some sort of thing so i have a like I have a pull-up bar that like for a doorway, although I don't like that one as much because it's like not as sturdy. And then I have one attached to the squat rack I have in my garage. That's the one I used for the video with cubing encoded. So okay. I think with the one uh, with your pull-up bar, like that could work really well for saying like put that in the doorway to a room you go to often, whether it's your bedroom or the kitchen or something. And just tell yourself every time you go through that doorway, you have to do about half as many pull-ups as you can do in one set, just as a like that efficiency training I was talking about. Okay. All right. I see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also, during this quarantine, I think I've gotten a little bit more fit too. Um, I'm probably not as strong as you, but um, I've just been working on like lifting like every, like I got injured recently, like I fell off my skateboard, but um, I wouldn't, I wasn't able to work out the past couple of days, but I used to do like push, pull, and then rest day. Is that what you do? Do you like do push, pull, leg day? I don't know. how. Yeah, do I'm doing, I'm doing push, pull, leg. Although like I'm very, I'm pretty varied in like what I want out of each of those. Like I basically decided for my pull, which is basically, which is a, basically a smart way, smart sounding way of saying back and arms. Um, 
what I, the only thing I care about there is being able to increase my number of pull-ups and eventually be able to do a muscle-up. So both of my pull workouts in a week are completely based around working on that. For legs, I care about strength, so I'm doing heavy squats. And then for push, which is chest, uh, triceps, and shoulders, there I care more about like the, the size and the aesthetics, so I'm doing some slightly different stuff there to try and maximize that. Okay. Yeah, and funny you kind of mentioned the muscle up there. Have you? I know you watch Mike Boyd because that reminds me of his muscle up video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of get inspired from him there too. Um, so a muscle up exactly. It's like you get your whole body, not your whole body, like your waist above the bar, so, something like that. Uh, so you start from like the bottom pull up position, and then you have to pull up with enough momentum that you can sort of bend yourself over the bar and then push up with a dip, and then so basically you're completely on top of the bar. And it's just like all in one motion. I, I'm not like that close to getting it, but of course, uh, it took Mike Boyd in that video over two months to get his first one, and I'm at like a stronger starting point than he was. So hopefully, it won't take me that long. But yeah, uh, funny you mentioned Mike Boyd. About two years ago, he did a thing for he was going on his honeymoon, so he wanted to have some guests on the channel. Oh. And he did yeah, a little, he did a contest for that. So he had a bunch of people submit their ideas. He would pick the best, I think it was 16, to go ahead and make the videos. And then out of those, he picked the best three. And I submitted the idea of learning to solve a cube with my feet because I knew he had done some cubing stuff before. And he chose me as one of the 16 to make the video. Unfortunately, yeah. I didn't get on his channel. But um, the video's on my channel, and he I got a free Mike Boyd t-shirt out of that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Nice. I think I remember seeing that back then, too. You trying to solve a 3x3 um, three three with feet under two minutes. Yeah. And, I believe, yeah. And, like, it is a decent video. My At that point, I hadn't developed, like, an on-camera personality. And the whole process, I edited it to be too quick, so it doesn't seem like there was that much struggle to get to that point. So I think I could do it better now, but of course there's no point since it's not an event anymore. Yeah, but at least you tried. At least I, I mean, at least I tried. Yeah. And that's sort of the main takeaway there is like the odds of me getting as far as I did were extremely low, but they would be even lower. They would be zero if I hadn't submitted the idea. So in general, don't be afraid to try and do stuff, especially when they're, is no real risk yeah like having a good mentality like um when kobe bryant passed in like february i recently like um like was uh, watching some of his like speeches from like motivational things from youtube and he talks about like hard work and how if you really want something you got to really put in the work and how um you got to do things while other people when other people aren't and just um just try to like if somebody's making a youtube video um or like, like if somebody's putting like X amount of hours in a video, you want to do um, X amount of hours plus like a couple more after that. So mm-hmm. I think that's sort of like the Mamba mentality there. Uh-huh. You sort of agree with that? I agree with that. And like to add on to that. So my, my best example of this kind of mentality was last fall when I was working on all my college applications. So I was applying to some really, really selective film programs, like some of the best ones in the U.S. And I basically... And The best ones require a portfolio, like an example of your work, a lot of essays and film projects and stuff uh, that you have to submit. So I knew that would be a ton of work to do, and I knew the chance of getting accepted was extremely low. But I sort of had the thought, in 10 years, if I I don't try this, in 10 years, I'm going to have the thought, what if I did? Would I have gotten in? And how would my life be different if I did? Whereas if I try, even if I don't make it, I know that I made the effort and I won't have that regret. So I ended up doing all those applications and yeah, I didn't get into any of the really selective schools, but I, at least I tried. 
Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. Um, it can it can relate to anything. Um, it doesn't just have to be on one specific topic. Like his words, Kobe's words, and what you just said can apply to anything. It doesn't have to be cubing. It doesn't have to be college. It can just be anything in life. So that's just a good mm-hmm. um, point to take away from this podcast today. Yeah, yeah. anything that you want to be good at, you have to put in that amount of dedication. Yeah. Okay, and then on this podcast, um, that was that wraps up like this the discussion points and questions that I just had for you. But on this podcast, I have two segments that I always like to close out the podcast with, and one of them is a "Would You Rather" segment, and the other one Ooh. is a rapid fire segment. So, yeah, um, I think today uh, I'll let you choose which one would you like to start with: the "Would You Rather" or rapid fire. Let's start with "Would You Rather." Would you rather? Okay, that's what I would have thought too. Because I actually don't have as many questions there, um, as as for rapid fire. So let's start with that. Um, so I have one cubing related one, sorta, and then one non cubing related one. So which one would you like to start with? Let's start with cubing. Okay. Um, would you rather give up cubing or YouTube? So I guess Ooh. sort of cubing related. Huh. See, that's the thing. I've put in like the same amount of time for both. The one thing, I guess, you could say I've had more success with YouTube, relatively speaking, because, of course, I'm a fast cuber, but if you compare, like, my ranking compared to other cubing channels, compared to, like, my 3x3 ranking, I'm a lot further ahead in YouTube, so I think if I had to give up one, I would give up cubing and stick to YouTube. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, a lot of people, like in the past, um, who are on this podcast, like Crazy Cuban Carol, who came on, and just some other people, they they agreed with that, and they said they would rather give up cubing because, like cubing, I guess at one point, like I I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, um, somebody said that like at around like age fifteen, sixteen, somewhere around there, that's when like you hit your peak, and then like after that, especially as you get older, like you can't cube as fast anymore because I don't know, maybe your coordination and your dexterity, something like that, it like goes down and you're not able to cube as fast but like youtube it doesn't matter how old you are as long as you produce content for people that they actually like mm-hmm. um I, yeah it's you can do it as long as you want i don't know if the peak for your coordination is that early but i think once you hit like 30 from there i think it's definitely downhill that that was the first would you rather question and now the second one um i have is would you rather give up your mac or your iphone Ah. Oh. Like, on the one hand, I need the Mac for all of my YouTube stuff. On the other hand, I'm addicted to my phone. Oh, I think, I mean, earlier this summer, there was, like, a period of a few days where I didn't have a working phone, and I managed to get by with that. Um... Oh, this one's really, this one's a lot harder. I think it's easier to get by with doing video stuff on a phone than it is to get by with communication, especially on the go with a computer. So I think I'd go with giving up a Mac. Okay. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. Um, Mm. Kevin also did say that. he want he would rather give up his Mac. I mean, yeah, I guess yeah, social interactions are really important and having good relationship with the people in your close circle around you is really important also. And yeah, I guess I would I'd sort of do the same too. I'd give up um like creating content to get closer with the people that I'm that I really enjoy being around. And I'd also yeah. say like like no no um no offense to Kevin, but I think like his content would be easier than mine to replicate using only a phone. I think he's at a bit of an advantage there. Okay. Yeah, I mean he's I mean the daily uploads like I think he told me that they're going to stop now because he hit 100k, but he's starting to put more effort into them now. But yeah, I I guess yeah. I sort of agree with your point. Yeah, it's a little bit more easier to replicate than your uh-huh. content, yeah. He told me right as I challenged him to a rematch in the one turn one pull up that he's quote unquote taking a break, which means he's running away from my challenge. Oh wow, really? Yeah. Okay. Like for the for the challenge, I just want to go into this a little bit more. Um 
So do you know exactly how he trained to like do some pull-ups and all that? Um, I don't think he do the pull-ups. Yeah, I don't think he trained. I just think he was already like in decent shape, and he could do. I don't like. I don't know how many pull-ups he can do at once. Um, but he was already in like good enough shape to just go for it. Whereas I had to work my way up to it. Um, and he like, not only is he probably at that point, he was definitely better at pull-ups than I was. He also did a much smarter solution on the solve. And that is a lot of why he won. Yeah. But he does swimming too. And that like works the whole entire body. Like he mentioned that he does it. He did it like semi-competitively and um that might have helped a lot yeah and Um, i i've never done anything like that okay all right now that that should wrap up our would you rather segment and now on to the final segment of this podcast rapid fire so for this segment um i actually unlike the last episodes i actually pulled questions from instagram and discord for you brody because i um told them that you'd be on the podcast Uh so i have five of them that people asked um some of them are just sort of random, and um, I I just have five of them, and some of them are non-cubing, some of them are cubing related. So, All right. are you I'm, ready? I'm ready. Rapid fire. First question is: What are your thoughts on Antoine Paterakis? Um, I think he's a cool guy. He's shown up like in the comments of my videos and in my stream chats. Uh, more often than most cubers of his caliber have so he's a sort of a nice more accessible guy in that regards and of course he's uh, he's incredibly talented especially at two by two like his times and like the 20 tps he's 20 tps two by two solves he's been posting are just unbelievable to watch yeah the next one is favorite m&m color favorite m&m color um Let's see. Um, I'm just going to go with red. Like, I don't have any reasoning here. They, they all taste okay. the same. Yeah. It's just, it's just for the aesthetics and look. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if you care about like how they act in the commercials, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess they, I guess they have different personalities in the commercial. Yeah. But <laughs> I guess it's a subjective answer there. Mm-hmm. Um, will you go to worlds 2021? Um, assuming it's safe, um, I'd honestly love to. I've never been to a Worlds before, and I think the Netherlands would be really cool to visit. So assuming that everything is cooled down by then, I think it's more likely than it ever has been before. Okay. 2 by 2 PB single and average. Uh, that's the thing. 2 by 2 is kind of dumb, and I don't... I definitely don't track single... But average, um, one point. I've definitely gotten one point seven averages before. One point six might be stretching it, but I couldn't give you an exact number. Okay, and as for single, do you like? It doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, and the last question, last rapid fire question is: How did you learn Spanish? So I've been taking Spanish in school uh, since eighth grade. And honestly, like this is where I'm I'm at an advantage. With everything in school, I've always just been able to pick things up extremely quickly. So I've like been picking up the vocab, just holding on to it without doing like an extreme amount of studying. And then two years ago, I took an AP Spanish class where basically a lot of the instruction was in Spanish and there was, it was very different from a normal Spanish class. It was, it wasn't about like learning vocab and taking tests. It was about learning about and discussing the world and world events, but in Spanish. So the amount of like listening to the teacher and the other kids I had to do in Spanish and the amount of like speaking on these varied topics I had to do have helped me out a lot. Um, I'm still not like, if you drop me in the middle of Mexico, I'd still struggle. I can speak and understand it about like the level of a seven year old, but that's not bad. I think. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I think you definitely have a knack for learning and, um, picking things up. So like, 
I guess I'm sort of going on a tangent here, but what would you say is like your biggest tip for learning something new? It doesn't have to be cubing related, but like um, anything in general. Um, so the first step is immerse yourself like in the community, which means like for cubing, I watched a ton of videos, learned all the terminology and started to get like a hold of what I was doing, who the experts were and all of that. And then it's, putting in a lot of time and like this is going to sound a little bit condescending but a lot of people need to spend more time practicing and less time asking questions on how to practice because they're so obsessed with like trying to do things perfect when the their problem is they're just not experienced enough with what they're doing yet to be at a good level with it yeah, I agree with that. You need to take action with um, whatever you're doing, learn the practice techniques, mm -hmm. and then just do it. Because if you don't, like you said before, like this is going full circle, sort of, if you don't, um, if you don't try to like get into that college or try to learn that algorithm, you'll never know. And maybe later on, you'll regret it because um, something else might come up and you'll just think back, huh, maybe I could have learned that or what could have happened if I did that. So I agree with that definitely. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that wraps up our rapid fire segment. Um, just to wrap up the podcast as a whole, is there anything else you would like to mention or just uh, say before we wrap up? Uh, I'd like to say, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, my channel is called Brody the Cuber. That's also the name for my Instagram and Twitch. We just hit 60,000 subscribers and we're fast on the road to 100K. If you want to learn how to get faster at 3x3 or one-handed or a few other events that I occasionally make videos on, my channel is a great spot to go. I have lots of tutorials and I can explain things pretty well. And yeah, that's who I am and what I'm doing. Yeah, I'll definitely be sure to plug that in the show notes. Thank you, Brody, for taking time out of your day to come on the podcast. And yeah, I know you have a lot of work to do probably. And yep, thank you so much for coming on. Thank I'll see, talk to you later. Yeah, thank you for having me. See you later. What a great conversation I had with Brody. I think we really went in depth there. We definitely connected on somewhat personal level and cubing. And I hope you guys did get value out of this podcast. It is late at night. I'm editing this. So hope you guys are really enjoying the pod so far. I'm trying to consistently upload for season two at least. We're coming sort of to the end. I don't know. It's only episode seven. But hope you guys are really enjoying it so far. I'm just really happy about how it's going. Once again, be sure to rate this podcast. Um, subscribe. And you guys know to do pretty much we'll have other guests like brody on the podcast in the future so thank you so much for listening and i hope you guys have an amazing day happy cubing peace